Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, as we continue our study through this great book. And we're going to look at verses 37 through 50. John 12, 37 through 50. Back in the year 1918, more than a century ago, there was a man by the name of Robert Ripley who began to publish a series of cartoons in newspapers all over America. These cartoons featured bizarre facts and strange stories and oddities from all over the world. These cartoons became very popular, and soon they added the tagline, believe it or not. They called it that because they were often so strange, you had to decide whether or not you were going to believe it or not. Well, those cartoons turned into a famous Believe It or Not TV show, which I grew up watching regularly as a kid. Uh, those TV shows resulted in Believe It or Not museums. They have one in St. Augustine. I'll admit, two years ago, I went to the one in Mexico City. But I tell you this because at the end of the day, it really does not matter whether or not you believe anything that Robert Ripley said. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe a lot of things. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe everything you see in the news. It doesn't matter whether or not you believe most of what you hear on social media. But it does matter whether you believe other things. It matters whether you believe the Word of God. It matters whether or not you believe the gospel. It matters whether or not you believe in Jesus. The scripture that we are going to read this morning is all about whether or not a person believes. In fact, that word believe appears eight times in this passage. A lot of people think that these final verses of John 12 are confusing. But I believe this passage actually makes a lot of sense, and it's not that hard to understand when you remember the context in the Gospel of John and why John places these verses right here at the end of chapter 12. I previously said that the public ministry of Jesus has come to an end. After years of preaching and teaching and signs and wonders, most of the people still did not believe. And John knows as he is writing this book, when he comes to this point, he knows that some people who are reading it for the very first time are going to get to this point and say, wait a second. What's going on here? If Jesus really is the Messiah, why don't more people believe him? If Jesus really taught all of these great things, and if he really performed all of these great miracles, why did not more people believe? Some people might be tempted to ask, well, was his ministry a failure? 
Now, we could rephrase that, and we could ask a similar question today. If Jesus really is the Son of God, and if his words are really true, and if his resurrection really is a fact, and if the gospel really is the power of God unto salvation, then why is it that more people do not believe it? And furthermore, why is it so important for a person to believe in Jesus? Why does it matter how a person responds to Jesus? Why does a person's eternity depend upon how they respond to Jesus? Now, these are the questions that John is answering by placing this passage right here. This section of the Gospel of John is like a commentary on the first 12 chapters. And he's explaining to us why so many people did not believe in spite of all of the things that he has told us about Jesus in the chapters before. So as we read these verses, we're going to see several reasons why it matters how we respond to Jesus. And first of all, our response to Jesus matters because our response to Jesus affects our hearts. How we respond to Jesus actually has an effect on our hearts. Look at verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? John says, in spite of all the miracles that Jesus performed, and he performed every kind of miracle you can imagine, in spite of all of those miracles, they still did not believe. But this should not surprise us, John argues, because their rejection of the Messiah was actually prophesied in the Old Testament, and he's going to prove it. John is going to quote two verses from the book of Isaiah, which was written seven centuries before Christmas, and he's going to show us how both of these verses from Isaiah point to Jesus and explain why the people did not believe in him. Now, in verse 38, he quotes from the very first verse of Isaiah 53. If you are not familiar with Isaiah 53, you need to be probably the most important chapter in the entire Old Testament. This famous passage, which tells us so many things about the Messiah, how he will sprout up like a, a little shoot from the ground, a reference to his birth, how he will grow up and be despised and rejected. He'll be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and the punishment for our peace will be placed on him, and by his stripes we are healed. In this passage, Isaiah explains how this Messiah is going to come and he is going to suffer and die for us. He'll be punished for the sins that we have committed. But notice how this chapter begins. It begins with, who has believed our report? What report? 
the report here is the teachings of Christ. And, and then he says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord refers to God's power, his mighty acts. In this case, the miracles which Jesus had performed. So notice what John does. He points to Isaiah, who says they're going to reject his teachings and his miracles. Look at verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe. Because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. This time, John quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah chapter 6 is also one of the great chapters of the Old Testament. This is that passage where Isaiah received just a glimpse of God's glory. Isaiah saw Yahweh seated on the throne in the temple, and the angels are crying out, Holy, holy, holy. The seraphim, these angelic creatures, literally have their faces covered in his presence. And Isaiah was so overwhelmed by the glory of the Lord, he fell on his face and said, Woe is me. He thought he was about to die. John refers to that story in Isaiah chapter 6. And I want you to notice what he said. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. John's talking about Jesus. So according to John, whose glory did Isaiah see? The glory of Jesus. According to John, who was seated on the throne? Jesus was seated on the throne. No one can read this and understand this and deny that the Bible affirms the deity of Christ. But I want you to go back to verse 39. It says, therefore, they could not believe. Therefore, points back to verse 37. A lot of people will get this verse wrong because they will read verse 39 and they will quote verse 39 and they want to forget all about verse 37. Verse 37 says, they would not believe. Verse 39 says, therefore, they could not believe. Do you see what John is doing here? They would not, therefore, they could not. And John quotes Isaiah 6, where God told Isaiah, the people are not going to believe you when you preach. And because they will refuse to believe, here's what happens. Their eyes eventually become blind. Their hearts eventually become hardened. And eventually they reach that point in which they are no longer able to turn and believe, and be saved. I want you to think about it this way. Imagine a person is standing at a fork in the road with two paths available 
before him. One path is called unbelief, and the other path is called faith. Let's just say that that person begins to walk the path of unbelief. That person might take 10 steps down that path and then realize I'm going the wrong way and turn and come back to that point of faith. But I want you to notice what happens. Every single step takes that person further and further away from that fork in the road. If they walk down that path of unbelief long enough, they will no longer see that fork in the road. They may no longer remember that there was a fork in the road. And something similar happens to a person when they choose unbelief. Every time a person refuses to believe God, that's just one more step down the wrong path and Every time, it becomes a little bit harder to get back. Every time, with every step of unbelief, their hearts become just a little bit more hardened. Now, John quotes this verse from Isaiah 6, and he says, this is what happened in Jesus' earthly ministry. The people did not believe, and because they did not believe, eventually they walked down that path long enough, they got to the point where they could not believe. But the problem here is not that God withheld from them the grace that they would have needed. The problem is not that God did not give them the capacity so that they could believe. Oh, yes, they really could have believed but they refuse to believe. And because they refuse to believe, therefore, they reach that point where they could not believe. John wants us to understand that a person's unbelief is never due to a lack of evidence. A person's unbelief is never due to a lack of light. A person's lack of belief is never because of some failure on God's part, something that God failed to do, A person's unbelief is always about the stubborn will of a man or a woman who refuses to bow before God. And so we need to understand that how we respond to Jesus and how we respond to truth, the truth of God's word in general, that affects us. It affects us for better or for worse. That's why obedience is so important. And that's why having faith is so important. That's why Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Because you can get to that point where you are no longer able to seek him. And you are no longer able to call upon him. That ability that God gives to you to seek him and to call upon him by grace, that ability does not last forever. And so how we respond to Jesus, it actually affects our hearts. It actually shapes the people that we will become 
in the future. That's why it matters. Our response to Jesus is important because it affects our hearts, but also our response to Jesus reflects our allegiances. It reflects our allegiances. Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. John gives us another reason why most people did not believe Jesus. It turns out that many of them, including some of the religious leaders, they believed in him, but they would not confess him publicly. In other words, they believed in Jesus intellectually, but they were not willing to follow Jesus openly. And the reason why they wouldn't do it is because the Pharisees had warned everybody, and they said, if you follow Jesus, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. What did that mean to be kicked out, to be banned from the synagogue? To be banned from the synagogue not only meant you were no longer allowed to attend the synagogue, you were no longer allowed to worship in the temple, it also meant you were cut off. It meant you could no longer do business with your Jewish brethren. It meant that your family disowned you. It meant when you died, there would be no funeral. It meant you would probably have to leave your home. You would have to leave Jerusalem or Judea just to be able to survive. And this is why most Jews feared being kicked out of the synagogue more than they feared anything in life except for maybe death. And this is why John says many of them believed in Jesus, but they did not confess him. And notice what John does. He doesn't waste any time at all calling a spade a spade. He doesn't waste any time in pointing to what the real heart of the problem is. He said their problem is they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Is that not one of the saddest commentaries you will ever hear? They cared more about what man might think than what God thinks. And some of them said to themselves, what will happen to me if I follow Christ? How will that affect my livelihood? How will that affect my family? How will that affect my standing in the community? Listen to me very carefully. A faith that does not confess Christ is not a saving faith. This is something that the New Testament makes clear over and over again. Jesus said in Luke 12, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And he said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. This is why Paul said in Romans 10, 9, 
if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. This is why Peter said at Pentecost in Acts 2.38, remember what he said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And no, that doesn't mean that baptism is what washes your sins away. But it was assumed that anyone who truly repented, anyone who truly believed would be willing to be baptized as a way of publicly and openly identifying with Christ. No one, and I repeat, no one can truly follow Jesus until they settle this issue in their hearts. Whose praise am I after? Whose opinion do I value? Whose applause am I going to seek? Whose appraisal of me matters the most? Every person here will have to decide for himself or herself how to answer these questions. But let me just ask you this. If you choose man's approval instead of God's approval, how exactly is that going to help you when you stand before God at judgment? If you choose man's applause over God's applause, how exactly is that going to help you? It's not. We need to remember what James said in James 4.4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There's this issue that must be settled for a person to follow Christ. And how you respond to Jesus reflects where your allegiances really are. There's one more thing that I want you to see why it matters how we respond to Jesus. Because our response to Jesus determines our destiny. It determines our destiny. Look at verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Pay close attention to the beginning of that verse. Jesus cried out and said. The verb tenses imply that Jesus cried out continually. He said these things continually. These are things that he frequently cried out and said. And so to understand these last seven verses of John 12, you have to keep in mind, John is not referring to one particular sermon that Jesus preached at one particular time. He's not referring to just one moment when Jesus cried out and said the following. What John is doing in these last seven verses is he's giving us an accumulation of different things that Jesus had said over and over again. All of these are things that we have already encountered 
in the Gospel of John, but he's repeating these things to us again, and he's stressing why it is so important to believe in Jesus. He starts by reminding us that Jesus claimed to be God by claiming to be one with the Father. Do you remember back in chapter 10, Jesus said, the Father and I are one. No one else could make that statement but Jesus. And he even said, he who believes in me believes not in me. In other words, not just in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees him who sent me. So to believe in Jesus is to believe in God. To accept Jesus is to accept God. And according to Jesus, to reject Jesus is to reject God. Now, let me explain it this way to help you understand. You may have heard of a famous actor by the name of Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin was a well-known actor in the beginning of the 20th century, and he starred in a lot of those silent movies that were very popular back in those days. Well, one day, Charlie Chaplin found out that there was a city that was putting together a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest. And you know what he decided to do? He decided to enter that contest. He drove to the city, he showed up, he signed up, and you're thinking, well, surely he won the competition, right? No. Charlie Chaplin lost because the judges in the Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest, they thought that someone else looked more like Charlie Chaplin than Charlie Chaplin did. Now, to those judges who rejected him, he was just a number, just another contestant. But when they rejected his number, they were actually rejecting Charlie Chaplin himself. Because Charlie Chaplin, or he was himself, Charlie Chaplin. In a similar way, when a person rejects Christ, they're not just rejecting a Jewish carpenter. When a person rejects Christ, they're not just rejecting the Messiah. According to Jesus, when a person rejects Christ, they are actually rejecting God because Jesus is himself God. And when he spoke, he spoke the words of God. And when he acted, he carried out the actions of God. If you want to know what would God say, what would God do in any situation, just open the New Testament, read the Gospels, Listen to what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus did. In everything, he perfectly reflected the Father because he is himself God, and therefore, how you respond to Jesus is how you respond to God. A person might say, well, I think I could respond to Jesus one way, but to God in a different way. No, 
That is just not true. You cannot separate the two. A person might believe in God's existence without believing in Christ, but they cannot truly believe God or trust God or accept God if they reject Christ. Because when they reject Christ, they are rejecting God. John continues this line of thought in verse 46. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Here is John repeating another one of the things that Jesus had said in the chapters before. The typical man or woman of this world lives in a constant state of spiritual darkness. And when someone is in the dark, they cannot see who they are or where they are or where they are going. And Jesus says that's true on a spiritual level as well. That's why Jesus came. He said, I have come as a light into the world. Not talking about physical light. He's talking about spiritual light. And because Jesus is himself the light of the world, to reject him, to reject that light, is to place yourself in spiritual darkness. To not believe him is to be in darkness, but to believe him. Jesus said, whoever believes in me is to be in the light. Verse 47 And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. This time, John is clearly referring back to what he said in chapter 3. You remember John 3, verse 17? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus did not come from heaven to earth to give us what we deserve and praise the Lord for that, or else we would all be in a lot of trouble. He didn't come the first time to judge. He came to save. And so John wants us to understand that if a person refuses to believe, it is in spite of the fact that Jesus came from heaven to earth to save us. This kind of reminds me of the story of Abraham Lincoln when he was president of the United States during the Civil War, President Lincoln would oftentimes go to the hospitals in and around D.C. and visit wounded soldiers. Those soldiers could not go to Abraham Lincoln, so Abraham Lincoln would go to them. And many times historians tell us he would spend hours and hours conversing with them. Well, not that this would be likely to happen, but just imagine that President Lincoln went to one of those soldiers in one of those hospitals. Imagine that President Lincoln comes to the door, he knocks on the door, but that soldier refuses to receive him. Just imagine President Lincoln is knocking at the door, but that soldier will not let him come in, and the president acknowledges his request. That soldier could never complain that President Lincoln did not care about him. That soldier could never complain that he never had the opportunity to know 
Abraham Lincoln because the president had come to him. And likewise, John is saying that 2,000 years ago, a much greater king traveled a much greater distance, and he paid a much greater price so that every man, woman, boy, and girl can be saved. And therefore, if someone rejects him, they have themselves to blame at judgment. This is why Jesus says in verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Notice, first of all, there is a last day. History will come to its conclusion. One day, time itself will be no more, and we will stand before God in judgment. And according to Jesus, the words of Christ, the words which he has already spoken, will be the measure by which we are judged. Look at verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. John gives us one final reason why how a person responds to Jesus will determine their destiny. When Jesus spoke, he merely spoke what the Father told him to speak. He spoke the very words of God. And through Jesus, God has given to us, listen to this, one command. One primary command of eternal significance. Jesus said, I know that his command is everlasting life, which is why I speak to you only what he's spoken to me. So to heed this one command, to obey this one command, is everlasting life. Now, if that is true, if God the Father has given to God the Son one command, and if by obeying that one command, we have everlasting life, then the million-dollar question is, what is that one command? What is it? Well, John himself answers that question. Listen to what he said in 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Did you know that every other religion hands you a big, long list of rules and regulations and commandments, and they say, if you do all of these things, maybe you'll be saved. Maybe you'll go to heaven when you die. Jesus says, there's just one command. Believe. Believe. And those who believe, those who place their faith in him, what will happen? They will then live out that belief by loving one another. 
And these two go together. But God's given us this one command, this one command that determines our destiny. And hear me carefully. If you reject Jesus, you break that one command. This is why it matters. I said at the beginning of this message, it doesn't matter if you believe any number of things. It matters whether you believe Jesus. It matters how you respond to him because how you respond to Jesus will have an effect on your heart. It will shape the person that you become, good or bad, and how you respond to Jesus will reflect where your real allegiances lie and how you respect or you respond to Jesus will in fact determine your destiny. And if these things John is telling us is true at the end of chapter 12, that means the most important thing in all of life is to believe him and to tell others that they might believe in him as well. Will you join me as we pray? Our God, we do thank you that you have made it possible for us to believe in you, to believe in Christ, and that by believing, we have eternal life. And it is a miracle, God, that you even did that, that you would make it possible for sinners like us to believe you. But we understand that that ability that you give us, it doesn't last forever, that one's heart can be hardened to the point that they're no longer able to turn and believe and be saved. God, if there are any here today who are walking along that path of unbelief, God, I pray that they would still hear your voice calling them back to that place of faith, that they would repent, they would turn around and come back and place their faith in Christ. God, I pray that you would help all of us to know exactly how we should respond to your word today, that we will all here decide that we care about the praise of God more than the praise of man, that we would seek your approval and your applause and not the approval or the applause of this world. Father, help us to take all that we've read and all that we've learned and apply it as we leave here today and to tell others so that they would know who Jesus is, that they would have that opportunity to hear and respond and call upon him and be saved. Thank you, O oh God, for your word, for how it instructs us and how it inspires us and how it equips us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Earlier in the message, I placed that picture up there of the person standing at the fork in the road. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're standing there at the fork of unbelief and faith. And how you respond to Jesus will set you in one direction or the other. Maybe until now, for whatever reason, you have not placed your faith in Christ. You have not accepted him. And you've been walking down that path of unbelief. But perhaps God has has still spoken to you and you still hear his voice calling you, beckoning you to turn around, to come back to that place of faith 
and to follow Christ once and for all. If that's you here this morning, I hope you understand now, it really does matter how you respond to Jesus. So how will you respond to Jesus? Jesus said, there's this one command that the Father has given to me that I give to you, believe, believe, and you will have eternal life. Place your faith in him. Jesus, you are the one who died for me and who rose again. Therefore, I'm trusting in you to save me and be Lord of my life. Anybody here today that would say, I need to take that step of faith. I choose faith over unbelief. I choose to follow Christ. I will follow him no matter what the world thinks, no matter what the world says, no matter what the world might do. I want God's approval and his praise more than the praise and the approval of this world. And therefore, I want to follow Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, you would say for the very first time, I'm taking that step. Anybody just by raising a hand would say, pastor, that's me. Today, I want to follow Christ. I want to give him my heart, and my life, my all. Just by raising your hands, we can see and know, so I can pray for you. If you're watching online, please respond to us as well by reaching out. Send a text message to that uh, number that we shared with you at the beginning of the service. When you get the link, click on it. Tell us who you are. Tell us that step of faith that you're taking this morning. Or if you have questions, if you want to know more, uh, please let us know that as well. We'd love to sit down with you and have a conversation and explain more what it means to be a Christian, how to be saved. Uh, how to follow Christ. I'll be here as always at the front at the end of the service. If I can minister to you, pray for you in any way, please feel free to come and do that and give me that opportunity and we'll pray together.